coffee's it, great for stuff like this. It, it but, just, it's but, just question how much. Yeah, yeah. But if you have if you have like two cups of coffee, whatever you're comfortable with that makes your brain work a little bit faster. I mean, coffee's like the best drug for that. You don't drink coffee at all? No, no, no. I drink coffee, but I had my last coffee. Well, my last. I don't drink, you know, huge amounts of coffee, but I had the coffee at something around five. So maybe now it's going down. Maybe I should have a coffee. <laughs> if you want to, if you want to make a, if you want to make a coffee. But anyway, thanks for doing this. I mean, we're we're recording right now, and I've been doing I've been doing this for a while. But believe it or not, you are my first German. Wow. Why? Yeah. That? Because I live in Berlin. That's well, why. Well, no, that's yeah. the question. Why? Why am I the first one if you live in Berlin? Because I only know a handful of Germans here. I know a lot of Europeans, but this is such an international city right. that the idea that actually meeting a proper person from germany is actually i only i only know a handful of people and out of that handful of people i don't know maybe half of them i know maybe five german composers okay proper german com composers <clears throat> whatever yeah. a proper german composer well, is. So, but so i know so what you mean who was, like yeah, i'm, so, I'm so, born so, german yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. someone who was someone who was born and raised in germany and mm -hmm. then ended up moving to uh berlin yeah right. But it's so strange that I live in the capital of Germany, and I only and you're my and I'm doing this and I'm doing this project, and you're my first German yeah, composer. Yeah, but you know, it's very interesting because it 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 leads us directly into the into the matter of uh, also composing in Berlin. Let's say of being an artist, being an artist, being a composer in Berlin, because it's not you know <clears throat> it's not the it's not attractive as a capital of Germany, I suppose, because. It has, let's say, uh, the institutions of the federal government or something like that, but because it is a cosmopolitan city, and especially if it comes to the arts and to music in particular, you you and we all meet people from uh, mostly other European uh, countries, but also from other places, United States, from from basically all continents. So that's that 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 is also reason why you know if you go to Berlin, you wouldn't um, immediately get an impression of what actual German music is like. I mean, also, but rather like what is new music or contemporary music and what's the art scene in Berlin, which is always kind of international. You think, you think if you go, you think if you go to another German city, you're going to get a better sense of what German music is than if you live in Berlin? Well, to be honest, I, I wouldn't be able to answer the question, what is German music? especially not contemporary German music. I mean, I would say that it comes to a big story. I mean, there's a long tradition of European music where uh, composers influenced each other, and it started, of course, already in the medieval times when they traveled between places and so on. So it was... And, and then, of course, the, the kind of national identity only... Um, um, uh, was established somehow in modernity coming to national state and then the identification of some composers with their own national tradition is something rather modern you know i think i think it you know mozart in a way is an austrian composer but he's born in 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 salzburg which back then was bavaria but bavaria wasn't just the most southern uh, federal state of germany but bavaria was bavaria so you know the germany didn't exist in a way yeah, the idea is that these borders <clears throat> are new exactly yeah. they're they are somehow new and then I think there there is there is a d debate also about you know let's say fine art what is german art what is french art and of course there are some properties which distinguish certain traditions from other traditions at the same time in other places sure but at the moment you know i would say that because of open borders because of uh, um, the international and attitude of most composers and music makers and musicians it would be very hard to say what is german music i mean there are many composers who you say you know i'm born german but there are many composers who moved here already many years ago and they have 
at least the same impact on what one one might call contemporary music in Germany as other composers who were born here. So the question is, you know, who who is who is the leading voice? I think there is there is no leading voice. So it is already something which is which um, is connected to the institutions here, which means to uh, the music colleges, to basically to the individuals, to the colleagues, to the festivals, to musicians, and so on. But you know, as you know, they 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 are already international, and so that meet, makes it hard to to distinguish clearly something like contemporary German music from, say, contemporary French music. It is sometimes easier to say what's going on, let's say, in Paris at the moment. What's going on in, let's say. Stuttgart at the moment or in uh, Milano at the moment, you know, because then you wouldn't say the composers have to be French or German or Italian, but rather a group of composers and musicians and so forth is living in a certain place. What's going on there? Yeah, and they had the and you know they've gathered to that place because they have the same aesthetic preferences, presumably, <clears throat> you know. Well, in some cases it might cases it might be true, and I guess. You know, in other places, for instance, in uh, in France, which has a great you know variety of um, contemporary music, but there's rather sometimes the tendency to build up groups or schools. You know, uh, whereas, for instance, I would say in Berlin, I I for me it's hard to see whether there is a kind of common aesthetic background. You know, there are people people living here that that even their aesthetics is completely opposed to each other. So I would rather say it's 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 the contingent fact of having a big metropolitan town which offers different opportunities to live, to work, to cooperate, but also maybe to be alone. And then people move here or people live here and develop themselves, develop their aesthetics. And it doesn't mean that it becomes kind of a hom homogenous unity or even something which can be grasp with one concept people are attracted to berlin for that reason because exactly, yeah. uh, uh because there's no profile and you know a lot of that has, has to do with what you were saying the structure like there's no resident ensemble in berlin where as a place like vienna has claimed form wien or um neuvoglust in stuttgart or uh, Music Fabrique in Köln. Um, ensemble Intercontemporain yeah, yeah, in yeah. Paris. Yeah. yeah, because there's no large ensemble or large institution that's kind of the biggest game in town and making the aesthetic choices, that there's, that you're right, there's no profile. But it also makes it so there's a lot of niches for people to find. That's what attracted me to the city when I first started visiting, was that there was that it was not possible to go there for even six months and then get your head around it, you know, exactly yeah, what was exactly. going on. I mean, I've, you know, I've been here for three years, a little bit over three years, and I'm still not even close to being able to wrap my head around it. Exactly. You know, I've been living here for more than now, I think more than 12 years. 12 years? Holy yeah, shit. Yeah. And, and I haven't, first of all, I haven't seen all the parts, you know, I think if there are some parts of, of Berlin I've never been to. First of all, huge, geographically, like in sex, sprawl. not so much about the city, but also about the about the people, you know, because it's a constant fluctuation. So there are new people moving here and people like uh, temporary residents, uh, artists coming. And even the venues, you know, I mean, you were talking about the ensembles and so on. Even the venues, you know, recently a friend of mine who works in the theater in um, kind of <clears throat> post-traumatic theater, uh, he told me about some venues, some places, and I... I haven't even heard about them before. So it, 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 it is something that, you know, you're still exploring 
although you are familiar. And this kind of dialectics between being familiar with the structures and even forming them yourself, like, you know, as, as, as I'm part of Klangnitz, as, as you. So it's like there, you are kind of one, one agent in a, in, 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 a, in a big field, which is complex. And at the same time, you can't um, overview it and you can't just get, get all of it. And the same time is, of course, you know, <laughs> sometimes there are six or seven um well this is really a high number but let's say there are several concerts with contemporary music on one day one evening so you have really sometimes even to make it if you want to go to concerts a lot you have to make decisions even if you just focus on contemporary music you have to focus you have to say where am i going to be and then this shows already that there's you know there's more than you can encompass in a way but this variety uh creates a kind of freedom for many people to develop as you say their own niche their their um their their approach to music their ideas um and they they don't have to necessarily adapt to certain aesthetic norms that are already given by some powerful institutions or like let's say powerful individuals also some, sometimes this happens so you've been here for 12 years you've been here for a long time or i think even 13 i mean i i regard berlin really as you know as my home, so to speak. I'm, as, I'm 13 years, I would hope so. Yeah, yeah, well, well, obviously it's my, I mean, I can very, very easily make make a place my home. You know, when I was living for three months in New York, I, I somehow in the third month, I felt like, okay, What were you I'm doing coming, in New York? Coming. Oh, I read this in your biography. You were at Columbia. I was at Columbia, exactly. Okay. What were you, were you there in the composition department or what well, were you doing there? Well, you know, as uh, you know, or as maybe the listeners should know, I am also a philosopher. So I studied also philosophy and literature and um, uh, working constantly on my PhD. How long have you been working on your PhD? Well, that's uh, an embarrassing question. <laughs> no, I've been, because I, you know, I've been working now um, more than five, four, five years. You've been a PhD student for more than five years. Yeah. Five and a half, more or less. Well, you know, in, in the system in Germany is a little bit different. So when you start your PhD, you are not literally a student. You don't, don't even have to be enrolled. You're basically writing your dissertation. So you don't have seminars or something like that that's all before um so you you get you get a stipend to write exactly i mean either you have a position and you already teach at university or you have a stipend or maybe you finance yourself privately whatever but like to to say i'm i'm doing my phd basically means to write the text which of course is lots of work because you have to do research and so forth And and then when you're finished with that, you you um, hand it in, and then there's a there's a procedure. It's going to be reviewed. I mean, it's going to get the references and and the marks, and then there will be a disputation, like means a public defense, and so forth. So that's the whole that's the whole. But I'm still you know working on the text, and part of the reason why um, why I'm still working on it is of course because I've also been occupied with uh, my compositions and also with organizing concert events in Berlin as a member of Klangnitz and and so on. So, you know, it's kind of being no, sometimes it's, it's like on, on two trains, you know. It's like, it's like, it's like uh, everything else. It's a balancing act. Why did you decide to do... Well, actually, let, let, let's, let's do a little bit of history now. Mm -hmm. um, what, what, was, what was first, composition or philosophy? <laughs> let's say in my life, composition was first for sure. In terms of 
um, you know, when I started to compose to write music and so on, and 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 to my interest for philosophy and also for literature came a little bit later. You know, I basically I started to compose with thirteen, and the time when I really started to enjoy reading and really became passionate about literature and also philosophy was something like. 15 rather 16 17 let's say so that sounds quite... that sounds about right you know that's when well I... that's that's when like the teenage angst like kicks into gear and you need you know you need guidance besides your parents which are stupid at that time too <laughs> right isn't that true <laughs> i mean that's that yeah. i mean that's i mean that's what worked for you know that's how it worked for me yeah, yeah yeah and i mean of course it's not only the parents but it's like you know that there are some unanswered questions in the world you know and you just uh, there's no one just to give you information, yeah. and then the information are su- is sufficient for but, for yeah. But fi- about yeah. around fifteen or sixteen is is when those questions start to arise, and you know it's also when your kind of cognitive abilities are you know are starting to develop a little bit, where you can actually consume the you know stack of Nietzsche books I'm looking at on yeah. your desk right now. You know, yeah, yeah, I know so, what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Of course, it's like it's it's well in in terms of music, it's interesting because. Um, I played, uh, it was a really funny anecdote because I played recorder. I, actually, my mom somehow coerced me softly, let's say, to play uh, recorder when I was, I think, five or six. So I played it for, I think, three years and I never enjoyed it, you know. And it sounds like a cliche in German music, you know, because p- p- young pupils, like students at uh, in, in, even in elementary school, but also still in high school, are supposed to learn at least recorder. But if you imagine like 30 people in a class playing, like, let's say one song on each one on a recorder, a soprano recorder, it doesn't sound good. So I, actually, I didn't just en- enjoy it. And after three years, uh, the teacher told my mom, well, Asmus is... As good after three years as others are after three months, and that was the end. So then I tr- wanted to play trumpet, uh, and I joined it more. But also then I didn't really have a teacher, and so I, it was kind of you know very very basic. And it was in the end of being twelve and then becoming thirteen that I really developed a genuine interest, and even even though it might sound like a cliche, but a real passion for for music. It started with Beethoven and so on. And I started to get a teacher for trumpet and started to play piano a little bit later, also percussion. And, you know, I started to compose and to read about music and to listen and so forth and so forth. So that was really like, let's say, like falling in love. It was basically falling in love with music and which um, immediately somehow led to compose, um, that I composed myself. And then, Later, as you know, as you said, maybe my cognitive abilities were developed a little bit more. I also could understand texts <laughs> or enjoy interpreting them and uh, reading them and so forth and philosophy. And anyway, so the, all these interests remained very, very strong. And so when it came to my decision what, what to do, I, you know, I knew already when I was 13, oh, wow, I want to become a composer. And so the decision to study composition was quite early. And then later I said, but I also want to keep on thinking and, you know, work with words and, you know, philosophy. So I said, why not to study both, which is or has been a quite silly decision if you, if it comes to, you know, perspective for profession, <laughs> because philosophers and composers yeah. together are not really like, you know. That's that, you know, <laughs> maybe I should you know, have... a lot more like some pragmatic person would consider that two bad decisions you know two, yeah. exactly two yeah. bad decisions yeah. Uh, yeah. don't lead to one good decision it's yeah. Like, yeah. Still, yeah. You know, yeah. they exactly. remain two bad decisions yeah. but of course I, I never regret that i um that i studied it and and you know somehow also after my degrees it was going on like that and i've you know i was composing and dealing with music and uh, you know organizing 
concerts here in Berlin and concert trips and interdisciplinary projects with other artists and so forth. And at the same time, I was never giving up philosophy. On the contrary, to do a PhD is a big and serious project. It's not something that you can do like just in the evening or something like that. So that was also a main occupation in the last years. So somehow I'm meandering between, um, let's say, the realm of words and the realm of, of sound. Do you think you'll ever get to the point where you have to say to yourself, okay, it's one or the other? Well, if I... I mean, right, right, right now... Oh, well, I'm assuming that you plan in some way of always being associated even if it's loosely with a, a higher learning institution mm -hmm. at some point you're going you're going to be forced into making the decision it's one or the other well let's say if i knew that i would have to decide soon i would be already in the in in this uh, process of taking a decision and maybe i would have already take taking a decision i haven't come to this point and the question whether i have to come to this point i think is the question i have to address to the world not to myself. You know, for myself, I could go on with doing all these things in a certain kind of rhythm. So it's a question of management, how to how to combine them. But in the end, it's also a question, you know, how, I mean, we have, we are finite beings. We have one life and time and we need to somehow um, survive in a, in a society that also has certain expectations. So the question might be that, you know, let's say if I get a certain teaching position and, and, and other things and there come, some obligations are connected to that, it might cause me to have a strong asymmetry. But I think no one would ever, I mean, no condition of society would ever um, force me to give up on something completely so uh, you know it's, it's it's basically it's a question of time management under conditions of a professional life like what what do you have to do what can you do uh, what is rational under certain circumstances but still like be true to yourself and that means i couldn't imagine like after decades of composing for instance let's say at a certain point to say okay i don't compose anything anymore yeah that's ex i mean basically uh you know i think you broke down my question perfectly how come you didn't get your uh phd in music composition it's a very simple answer because i preferred to do a phd in philosophy you know i i like to compose uh but to take the decision either a phd in ph composition or philosophy i the decision was clear to do it in philosophy because it means like really you know, to to write also a text which is philosophical. That's, I mean, that's what I'm getting at. Do you think? Do you think a PhD in philosophy is a little bit more uh, legitimate as far as traditional academic pursuits than it is in composition? Well, to be honest, I don't care about whether it's legitimate or not. It's. I mean, obviously, you know, there there are lots of great composition programs, and people I know, friends of mine, do their PhD in composition, and. I know admired composers who who, who are professors at univers American universities who have their PhD students' composition. So there's nothing, you know, I don't have any argument against it. I completely respect it. It's just my personal decision that I would say, okay, you know, if someone asked me, do you want to write an opera or a PhD in philosophy? It's still like, you know, that's a question you what to do. But the PhD itself, which means you have to do research, you have to um, uh, uh, write something, you have to think about a long text and so on. I, I just, you know, I'm already in the medium of philosophical work by by doing this re research in the realm of thought, whereas composition, I, I just want to be inside sound, inside the music itself. That, yeah, that, that's what I mean. The idea of, you know, research and coming, you know, and having your own idea and coming up with kind of a thesis. Do you think that fits into the world of composition? Yes, and so far as composers, now we come to also the big field. I want to make it short. I mean, 
obviously composition also needs lots of research. I mean, you don't, you know, we all know that we just don't sit down on the table and start to write like a symphony or so. So you, you, you search for material and you have to explore new sources of sound. You have to work with instruments. I mean, I think basically the work of a contemporary composer has always some connection to 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 a work of a scientist or um academic person who really has to to research in a field that he doesn't know or she doesn't know about and also as a composer you have to develop you have to find new ways you have to for instance in the realm of electronic music you have to you know keep up being up to date with the software and so forth and so forth so it's this kind of process of doing research and also reflecting on it intellectually and maybe even writing on it essays or so is already part of of a life of a composer and not, not in any case not in every case of course but 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 it is something which i think is not alien to contemporary music making and comp contemporary composition therefore i think a, a phd in composition which involves research and academic work but also creative work on your own compositions is basically a good idea but I would stress the point that academic degrees are only, let's say, they're helpful for sure, they're important, and they give others, let's say, prima facie certainty that, that what you're doing is okay. You, know? you have it's a level, a, yeah, yeah. It, but it's, but it's, 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 a, it's a, they know that you ha have a high level of competence. Exactly. However, I would say, and I would say it for composers as much as philosophers and maybe for all kind of creative people, um, the degrees themselves are neither um, sufficient nor necessary. So if you, you can be a great composer without even having studied one semester of composition, no degree and so forth, but you might be, you know, amazing composer. And at the same time, you, you know, Socrates, Socrates didn't study <laughs> philosophy, you know, to, to make it very simple. You uh, also other like famous modern philosophers, Kierkegaard, Nietzsche, they weren't really in the philosophy department. So you, you don't have to do a PhD in one of these subjects to be good in that. But of course, in our contemporary academic institutions, it is helpful and it also provides you with lots of opportunities. So um, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing in that it gives people space and time to just develop their skill set. But it gets to the point where, especially in composition, if you're dealing with an audience, institutions can be isolating and separate you from uh, the people who you're writing music for. Yeah. And I think that's maybe where my like a little bit of uh, my problem is, whereas the sciences don't really have to worry about communicating their ideas to the public. I mean, they do in some sense and to, to convince them to keep on giving them funding. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they have to make a case that they're doing good for the world. But other than that, you know, their ideas to find very kind of concrete solutions. And it's and it's more of a, you know, it's more of a healthy fit for them to be associated with higher learning institutions and to have to get your PhD or even med medical degree to show that level of competence you were talking about that, that the guy is operating on them, mm -hmm. you know, or the exactly. girl is like, is, you know, knows what they're doing. But then it gets to, you know, it gets to this point where, you know, I don't know so much about, well, actually, I don't know anything about the kind of um, uh, intellectual culture around institutions concerning philosophy, but I know quite a bit about it in composition just because I've lived in that world for so long. I always feel like it's a, always a little bit more of a shelter that provides, you know, uh, composers basically decent funding, you know, good opportunities and kind of uh, kind of a laboratory situation in which they can uh, try stuff out. But at the same time, it's also kind of, you know, it isolates them from the real world, which is what they should be writing music for. 
Yeah. No, that's a good point. I mean, obviously, especially in the hard sciences, you 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 are supposed to be an expert in a certain field, and then then because matters became so complex, let's say in physics or or chemistry and so on, actually in most most academic fields, you cannot expect. Um, let's say, non-academic people, and you can't even expect people from other disciplines and sometimes even not from the same subject, but people working in other fields, to understand what you're doing. But at the same time, it's still, you know, even if you talk just, if you're just re doing research among uh, um, uh, a small number of experts, the results might be very important for other things and for society as a whole. So there, there, there is, you know, it is critical in the sense that, you know, we have all this knowledge about the separation of the disciplines and the sensitivity uh, also in modern science, which led to also to the danger that, you know, for instance, science could be used by politics in, 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 in manners that are not fruitful and helpful. Um, however, what you sketched, I think, is right. And, the, and in terms of the arts, there is nothing like a journalism which translates complex ideas into, let's say, um, uh, consumable um, language for, for most people. So the artists, and in this case, the composers themselves, have to go to the audience. And the audience is not just, you know, hopefully, not just other composers or musicians, but a broader audience. That's, I think, what most people are aiming for in contemporary music. So indeed, there's a there's a difference. However, I would say there's also, I mean, as I've never, I mean, I'm not doing a PhD in composition, so I, I would be careful um, judging about these programs. But I would, I would say that there's also, you know, it's a kind of dialectical thing. On the one hand, the composers might not have this kind of experience that they have to, you know, write something for other people and really uh, have to deal with their expectations and maybe break them and really go into the world. But obviously, I mean, I think that everyone who's doing a PhD in, in, in composition has to be good in some sense. And I think, you know, most composers do reflect to some extent on what they want to do, how they how they can address people. Um, what does it really mean to address people? I mean, to change them, to comfort them, to challenge them, and so forth. And I think that, I mean, I couldn't imagine that uh, that this kind of institution, like of a college or university, gives you such a shelter that you are completely isolated from the outer world. Let's say so. I think it also, in this case, it depends again on the individual. I mean, if you have five years of working on something and you have money, you have opportunities, it's great. I mean, composers should be so, as much supported as possible in our you know, world, which is so much about economics. So I would say basically it's a positive thing. But of course, you have to reflect on your role in society, for sure. Any composer, any artist should do um, and not just skip it because you are embedded in, in a, in a well-working institution. You know, it's just, I mean, just a lot of the times for me, we can get off this subject in a little one. bit. Uh, but just one more thing, you know, at least in the States, it always feels like when I'm talking to a PhD student, it's, uh, you know, it's just hoops that they have. To, it's like getting their driver's license, you know. Okay. They know that eventually they want, it's, they're not, they're not doing it because they have a genuine love for academics they're smart and they know they can exist in the academic world and learn the right jargon and you know do the right walk and talk the right talk in order to pass off as you know to look like a professor and to fit into that type of culture but it's never because they actually believe in the institution it's more that they know that the only patronage out there is a university especially i mean especially in the states but also you know also kind of a way in you know here in germany at yeah. least 
And in order for them to be able to continue being associated with that, they either need to stay in school forever, which is, you know, impossible, you know, even if you do it into your, you know, 40s, which some people do, it's eventually you have to, you do have to graduate. But the only, the only other way to do that is to become a professor and you can only become a professor if you have yeah, exactly. a PhD. So for them, it's like they're getting their driver's license, you know, and it's like, finally, you know, I can drive a car. Now I can, you know, finally, now I can teach. You know, I can go somewhere and teach and then I'm, you know, and then I'm set for life. And then that kind of prevents them into, you know, finding another way, which means possibly having an effect on their aesthetic choices or maybe even putting their aesthetic choices through another type of test. Yeah. You know, which is how does this work outside of a bubble? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, for sure, that's the danger. I mean, whenever you are you are connected close to institutions, to colleagues, to certain expectations, you are in the danger of, of even unconsciously adapting to these expectations, which might not be the bad thing because the expectations might be very challenging and very, you know, um, you know, you, you, you might become brighter through adapting to them, to, through trying to fulfill them. But, but of, of course, it also um, has a conservative tendency to, you know, somehow put you into a certain way of composing, let's say, you know, a certain way your creativity works. And obviously, many of the really revolutionary creative moves in contemporary music and contemporary now go back to the, you know, after the world, after World War Two, um, came from people who were not, uh, first of all, they were not in academia, or even if they were, they didn't care much. So they, they just, you know, did their, did their thing, you know, and maybe later, because they were so great, they became, they got some professor, you know, positions as professors or so on. So I think obviously, if you, if you just want to have a driving license, and uh, then want to proceed as a teacher, maybe you're a good teacher, there's a idiom in Germany that people say, like, Sometimes the best composers are not the best teachers, and other way around. So I would even you oh, know, that's someone, completely true. Yeah, yeah. If if you know, I think not. If it, I I'm, I doubt that it's completely true. I think there are great composers who are great teachers. But obviously, you can be maybe a great teacher, but you are not. You know, the most um, um, uh, advanced composer. But that maybe that's okay. And you you know you 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 help a lot uh, for giving others your ideas, and you teach them uh, music theory and so forth. So. You know, each one has to find uh, her in his way. But but I completely agree with your um, objection against this. Yeah, sorry about talking about that. I mean, I do minimal research, but you know, I you know, I I knew that I knew that about you, and you're also doing it in another in another subject. So I just wanted to pick that uh, apart a little bit. But let's move more into composition. Um, you started the group Klongnets, which mm -hmm. I am now now a uh, member of. D did you do it because something was there was something missing in Berlin, or was it to create your own opportunities well it's maybe uh, now it's connected to the topic we had before and it's a nice transition i think to to a next theme because indeed i mean i didn't found Klangnitz myself alone but it was a group of composers and even though i'm the chairman it's just you know like let's say a public function i have but we are basically democratic so it's an association of composers living in berlin um who work together and it was founded in 2003, and uh, not by accident in this year, because it was for, for many students at the UDK, University of the Arts, it was either their last year or one of their last semesters in music college. And we were somehow all unsatisfied with the conditions of presenting our music. Everybody experiences that, even if they're, it's like, oh shit, what am I going to do? I'm about to graduate from college with a degree in the arts. 
and there's no there you know there's no plan it's well, not like you're an accountant well, you're an accountant yeah, and you can just find you know you can just find a company to push numbers for yeah, the yeah. the number of options for you is to either continue in school you know and get or, and get your driver's license exactly or, or be or, like a like a fish in a big ocean yeah. where you don't know any direction well basically um on the one hand yeah we we also took a conscious decision not to just be individual fighters for your own career, but somehow to do something together, which is also something which for sometimes quite contingent reasons is possible in Berlin due to low rents and to a lot of venues and so forth. But, you know, the, the motivation was basically because the ways that our music was practiced, I mean, rehearsed, the, the music students had to voluntarily do that and was presented and um and also the audience that was in these so-called uh, term concerts was to make it very simple just not sexy so just not sexy uh, yeah i mean well, not, it, yeah it was not sexy yeah. at all it was like you know it's and i mean it's not to criticize any person or so it was just you know somehow the the whole you know if you do if you compose you're sitting day and night i mean i don't want to exaggerate but you you're sitting most of the time at least while you're composing a piece, you're sitting alone somewhere and you're working somehow to some extent in an abstract matter. You don't see immediately like the results of what you're doing. You're still like curious how this is going to, to sound and you need other people for if it's instrumental or vocal music to perform it. So the event of the performance of the music necessarily becomes important. Because, you know, until then, you're just working in your studio somewhere alone and you don't have this connection. I mean, the creative process is not only imagining sound, constructing a piece, creating a form, which is basically always the main task of a composer. But creativity can also extend to the process of imagining for which kind of concert this piece, which is... It has to be extended into that realm or it's not... Well, I I guess when when you're simply writing a piece... At the time you're doing it, you are putting it into the context of this is an, an entire world onto itself. At least as far as the public goes, it's more helpful for them if the composer knows what the theme of the concert is. The more details they have and they take into account when they're writing when they're writing their piece, the more it's going to work for the audience. Yeah. You know? No, I mean, look, uh, obviously, you know, when you write a piece, uh, it, it is a lot of work in, in the time, even if it's like a just, let's say, a five minutes work for two instruments, you know, just arbitrarily, I make a choice. I mean, obviously, you don't write it in half day. You, 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 you need time for that. So obviously, you want, you hope that it is going to be performed more often in different contexts, different concert halls, maybe by different musicians. So the, the music itself should have a, uh, internal unity in the sense that it is it becomes to some extent autonomous towards the conditions of its performance you know there's the there are certain individual conditions however it is very much inspiring and it it uh, gives energy if you if you know that in this time first of all in the first place i write it for a certain project and it's be, it's going to be in a constellation with other pieces from other composers i i like a lot or you know i can somehow deal with and it's in a, in a in a overall aesthetic idea and it's going to be in this place and it's going to travel and it's going to be accompanied by workshops whatever you know if you have already this in mind it can be limiting but it also can set free energies and new ideas which at the same time doesn't mean that the piece is only you know uh written for this certain occasion of course it's you know the score can <laughs> travel around the world so to speak whatever but it is something which also somehow becomes 
I wouldn't say part of the composition process itself, but it influences it. And it means you have more, you have more work because basically more bureaucratic work to apply for money and so forth and to organize things that are not um, creative in the sense that you really, you know, form something, uh, form matter, but, but uh, you, you can realize your ideas and you're not the one just to finish the score and then just to wait and people tell you where to go to rehearsal and, you know, the concert is done in the way that you can't have influence on the, you know, you, you somehow make a, make a bigger project out of everything. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we should move on to uh, losing us because that audio will be on this. It's also a nice sentence to move on to losing us. So anyway, yeah, tell me a little bit about this piece. Well, uh, it was written in 2008 and uh, it's a piece for a small ensemble with a singer. And it's based, I mean, it's not based, but it uses a text, a poem by Karl Kraus, Austrian Austrian writer in the late 19th century, and uh, he died in in the 30s. And it's very untypical for him because he's rather known as a very satiric and um, critical writer. And it's a quite, it's a a sort of love poem. And I used parts of it um, inside the music. And the music is was supposed and it's supposed to be written for i mean to be performed with dancers so it was actually first written for a project also of klangnitz which we did together with dancers and choreographers so two dancers who were at the same time their own choreographers were working together with me and even in the while while i was composing and in the process of creating the composition i was meeting them and telling them about the lyrics, telling them about the whole process of the piece, uh, telling them how, how I work and like indicating some harmonies on the piano so they, that they could have first ideas. And of course, in the end, they really had to, to listen to the rehearsal and listen to the, to the you know, rhythmical structure and the organization of the piece in order to be able to create their choreography, which was in December 2008. And, how long um, did it take them to put the choreography together? I don't remember exactly, maybe 10 days, two weeks they worked fast. I mean, they they didn't have so much time, but the piece is also not that long. So, you you were writing the piece and you had no idea what the dancers were going to do. Did you have any? You knew it was going to be with dancers. Yeah, I mean, that was the whole idea of writing a piece that two dancers should perform in some in one way or the other. You know, I, of course, I was working with them means I didn't know what exactly they would do, but I knew already it's a woman and a man, and I knew that they. I mean, sometimes I had ideas. I also told them, you know, there's a, there are some really the parts of the piece, like there's a kind of introduction which somehow builds up some intervals above the E flat, low E flat. And then there comes a part with really broken, fragile harmonies that are changing. And sometimes they're rhythmical parts, but sometimes it's just somehow crystallizing around harmonies, the whole ensemble. And uh, and sometimes the singer is more present, sometimes less. And then later there's a faster time, a faster phase. Well, I had certain ideas what they might do or what they ch- would change in their choreography. But of course, I was working with them with, you know, I was telling them about my ideas and they were sometimes grateful, said, okay, we'll think about it. But of course, in the end, they, you know, it was their task to create a choreography. And, but I, you know, I, I it was interesting because uh, whenever I composed something, that somehow involves other media and other art forms, even though they are not intrinsically part of the composition, like let's say the text in this sense, because it's sung, you know, it's like, you know, there's a certain syllable or a certain sound of language and exactly at this point, exactly with this pitch or sound color. 
But if it's like now I say like, okay, I'm writing a piece and it's going to be performed with dances in the end. It is also part of the composition process, even though I don't know and I can't anticipate precisely the result. Did it work? No. Did it work? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I... I mean, sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. I mean, I... I was to some extent happy about the choreography and I think it was anyway it was a great time to work with them with the two dancers uh, it was uh, Friederike Plavki and uh, Gabriel Galindes Cruz so they they're two great dancers and it was fun to work with them and sometimes I thought like but it's also a kind of self-criticism I thought like maybe the conjunction of the piece and the structure of the piece and the whole form and the dynamics of the dance could have been more I mean somehow stronger or for me aesthetically more convincing But it doesn't mean that something really went wrong. So you know, it, it's it's it's. I mean, I'm I'm hardly ever really happy, completely happy with the results. I think it's part of the um, neurotic, artistic uh, non-satisfaction after performances. But but all altogether, it was a it was a great project. And uh, and I have to admit that I like. I mean, I love dance. I also love to dance myself, and I love modern dance and professional dancers. And the fact that that the music was somehow connected to bodily movements in a non-arbitrary way was already uh, rewarding for me. So in this sense, it, for sure it worked. It's okay if I use the recording, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a, a, maybe I should mention it's a live recording back then and we never had the opportunity to record in the studio. So the recording, it's a non-ideal recording, but so it's, what? I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's fine and you know, people, are, you know, people are sympathetic and have listened to yeah. worse. So... <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And as as I'm saying, I don't. I'm not one of these people who just you know strive for the perfect recording or so. I mean, I would say it's it's you know it's on its way. You no, know, I do that. You know, I feel like I always want the perfect recording for the wrong reasons, which for is the wrong the, reasons. Which you know, which in, in in a cynical way, which is not. I have a really good documentation, and, and this sounds great, and then people can listen to it and really know what I'm trying to say. It's because it'll sound it'll sound good for an application for something. It's basic, and as that's a means, and that's yeah, as a yeah, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. As a as a as a means for an end, it's like this is the you know this will sound great for an application professional studio recording, and uh, yeah, that's kind of a you mean like application for for recording like making a CD or something? Because if you have already a great recording, then you can say, well, that's already. I mean, or you mean like a application for a new project or new money and so on. Because if you have already a new great... project and new money, yeah, okay. some, yeah, you yeah. know, like some, some something that's you know. A high quality recording that I that I feel like puts me in a good light when yeah. someone's you know listening to it. Well, you know, you're saying the the wrong reasons, but I would say, you know, it's always that. I mean, of course, you people can't also be completely idealistic and say like, okay, that's a great recording. It's it's just an end in itself, nothing else. I mean, you know, coming now to maybe a funny comparison, but you know, artworks are maybe in general, I would say, artworks are maybe the the closest kind of cultural um, artifacts that human beings can produce which which somehow have a similarity to themselves you know that that people can somehow recognize their own subjectivity and their unconscious and and their ideas in artworks i mean even better than in 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 non-artistic artifacts now having said that if you take uh, kantian philosophy and kantian ethics then kant is saying that um The dignity of man and the right ethical treatment of man consists in the fact that you never treat a human being only as a means. So if, if you accept this ethical rigidity, you you may still say, yeah, but human beings are not, uh, artworks are not human beings. But if you now say like, like a good recording, 
I want to use it for an application, I would say, why not? As long as you, as you also value the great recording, you know, in itself and say, wow, it's a great recording and maybe people can enjoy it. But at the same time, I will use it as a means, as a good means to have an, you know, to, to be successful with, it, with an application. I would say that's yeah. not a wrong reason. That's, you know, you can, you can always combine treating things no, that's as, as means I mean, you know, and the, as an end. No, that's fine. I'm only, I'm only commenting on, and, you know, I do recognize it as that. Like, you know, of course, I, me thinking about it as a means is not taking away the fact that, you know, someone might listen to it on a website and maybe not connected with new music at all, but actually get something out of the recording. I know that that's mm. possible, mm. but I'm just making a comment on what, on my own thought process, which is a super mm. cynical one, which is to say, finally, I have this good recording and now I can put together a decent application of a recent work that I'm you know, proud of. But you know what? And, and that always trumps. Yeah. You know, I'm just saying in in my own head, maybe mm. what actually happens in reality might not be that at all. But that always trumps what a nice little artifact of a piece of art that I made. Yeah. Yeah. No, but but you know, I think it's also I would say now to to to, to see this positively, I think it's it's also part of the let's say life form as an artist because I you know, I sometimes feel this kind of sinful not sinful is a bad word, but this kind of unhealthy or maybe too much relaxing um comfort in looking back to what you've done you know so of course sometimes it's important to say like i'm not just on the way but i have already created some things and with some i'm more happy with some less but you know there's already something but in the way i mean i think that that at least i am always or oriented to the future so you know i'm i'm thinking about what's going you know what what am i going to do either next or maybe in the future so for me somehow the really good piece is still about to come so in this sense of course i completely understand that you know i would also say maybe what i've done to now is only in a very practical manner but also maybe in terms of my own development is a is a step in order to go to the next step so uh, and this this is i think you know what you were now talking about the recording is exactly i think this ambivalence we are all in more or less to say obviously if we write a piece which somehow is in unity and it might be recorded and it's, it's this piece even if we revise it it's still a piece it's not like a amorph continuity it's a piece let's say for a string quartet in five minutes so it is something for itself but at the same time you know I think most composers think, okay, what am I going to do next? So maybe this is this is something that I can make use of for the next thing, or maybe it's something I can overcome and I can distance myself to and so on. So it's not like you, I mean, I would never, you know, relax and say, now I have a great performance of a great piece and, you know, there it is. I'm That's happy. true. So, I guess, you know, the the cynicism is like, I mean, it, it's always going towards an application, not so I can get money and like buy a car and lay down on the beach. It's <laughs> it's because I can write another piece, which of course I want to be better than the last yeah, one. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I, I guess it's just, it's, it's a lot less cynical than I, than I, than maybe I originally thought it was because it's always so I can do something else. Yeah. And well, I guess it turns into a little bit of a cycle when you're saying, when you're saying, Whatever it is what you're doing, if you're doing it for that occasion or you're doing it because you know it'll it'll let you go on to the next step mm. and continue what you're doing.
how would you describe what this music is uh, to you? Where do the influences come from? I mean, at least from living in Germany, um, I have a pretty, it's not a unified vision, but it certainly has a lot of air tones and scratch sounds uh, <laughs> in it. And yours is pretty uh, void of that. And, you know, and I mean, this in a good way, not afraid to go for the viscerally beautiful moment. Uh, why do you do that? Do you think that's contrary to the, you know, to the German culture that you live in? What makes you make those decisions to do something that's immediately pleasing? Oh, I mean, wow. That, that's I, really, that's it sounds really, like, a, <laughs> it sounds like something that, uh, you know, I should, I should avoid in any case, like something that, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's something, I don't, I don't think it's something, yeah, yeah. Think it's something yeah, yeah. that you should avoid, no. but it's something I think a lot of Germans mm. think they should avoid. Yeah. Well, you know, sure. So there are many things to say. I will try to be clear. I mean, First of all, I think, and now I'm saying I think because, you know, I'm never completely transparent about my motives, but I think I never composed a piece in order to contradict a certain aesthetic opinion about how one should compose, let's say, or uh, to write something which somehow is contrary to, to what people expect from a German composer. So basically, I wrote, you know, I'm writing the music that in this moment I think I want to write. And um, obviously I'm influenced by many traditions, so I'm I'm not saying that I'm writing out of the blue or anything, but I'm I'm I don't write in order to either, you know, fulfill expectations or rather to 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 not fulfill them but i would rather say okay it's a it's not only a pluralist way on the side of the creators but also it's a pluralist uh, society in terms of reception and may, may people may hate the piece people may love it people may be indifferent and i can't control it so i you know i try to write what i think is okay for me and then there comes now an interesting phenomenon first of all you know you said um so what is german music or what is your identity as a german composer and it's always the problem with self knowledge especially if it comes to these kind of over roof identities of you know being this or being that it's always easier for others to identify that um uh, especially because i've been living in germany for long and working com as a composer in germany for many years And it might, you know, I always learned more about Germany when I was living abroad in London or New York and other places. I, I always thought like, okay, now I understand more not only about the country, about the habits, but also about maybe the artistic world and the, you know, the way people compose. And yeah, in my the, opinion about America has completely changed since I've lived here. In which direction? In a million different directions. Okay. I think it's more object, you know, I, it's not like I was some dude from Texas and I came here like shooting guns up in the air <laughs> and like, on a, you know, like riding a horse. But it's certainly more detailed and it's like a yeah. million times more nuanced mm, because yeah. I have so many other points of references now in which I can weigh that against. Yeah. Anyway, get yeah, back yeah. to your Okay, thing. It, it gets exactly what you say. It's, it's in a million directions. It's very nuanced. And I would say the same also for seeing my own background and the whole cultural sphere I'm working in and also the, the, the whole country and habits and so forth, uh, seeing it from a distant point of view. Um, and so, you know, I could now say there are some characteristics, but... The interesting thing is they are also identified from uh, another point of view, like from, an, let's say, somehow alien point of view, if it's another nation, another country, even like stepping into into a field which you don't know. And then you think, oh, this seems to be like German contemporary music. And of course, you're referring, as I guess, to a tradition which indeed is a great and indispensable and really, really important tradition of um 
of uh, which, let's say, there are names like Sparlinger, Matthias Sparlinger, and especially Helmut Lachenmann, and also others who, who really worked a lot of uh, deconstructing traditional sound and developing new um, ways of treating also traditional instruments, not only new instruments and electronics, but also traditional instruments in a way that you hear new kind of sounds. And you're not just confronted again and again with familiar sounds. And I think this might be something which is of course not connected to something like german identity or anything like that but but just maybe by by arbitrary reasons came from composers who who worked in germany a lot of course also in in other countries but there there's a certain let's say a certain weight uh, here and because someone like lachenmann became very influential um also be because he's a great mind a bright mind and also of course he's a great composer and also because people thought like okay that's the way we should compose that's also a problem for himself because now he became like a fashion that might be regarded from the from other countries or from you know a certain distance as this is what contemporary german music is about but then if you think of i mean I now want to just to mention like the old great names, which is in a way stupid, but it makes it maybe clear what I mean. Like if you at the same time think about someone who has been living for decades abroad, Hans-Werner Henze, but still he's a German composer, you think you hear the opposite. Where does he live? He lives, I mean, he's still alive, although he's quite sick. He lives in uh, close to Montepulciano in Italy, so not very far away from Rome. Okay. So basically he's living in Italy, but he's still a German composer. And I'm just mentioning him not because I think he's, he's very, very special, but because everything that he's doing, not everything, but most things he's doing, the way he's composing, the way he's presenting the music also seems to be the opposite to what someone like Spalinger is doing, you know, or Lachenmann, in the sense that, you know, he's using, uh, um, he's not deconstructing the sound all the time and he's using different techniques from the past in order to create new pieces. And there's much to say about it, but I would just say, so what do you do with that now? What is German music, you know? Uh, um, is it the music that is somehow at, the, at a certain av avant-garde, uh, at a certain intellectual um, uh, elite that would say, like, obviously it's not Henze, you know, it's rather like the other direction. But even then you say it's only two names well, and you have now m many more names. Yeah, but those names are representative of something. And they're certainly representative to an idea that, prob that fits well into the narrative of German history yeah. over the past 60 years. And the idea of rejection and negation yeah. fits well into what uh, – well, maybe I, maybe I can't speak to that and to Spallinger, but at least what, uh, what Lachemann yeah. does. And, be, and because of that, I feel like it has become the, uh, almost the centerpiece of what people think German uh, yeah. new, new music is because mm -hmm. it fits easily into – post-war history and ideas yeah well that's exactly that's the point now we come to a bigger frame of um, uh, social history or cultural history and of course i think the reason why contemporary music became somehow successful in post-war germany was on the one hand had very simple pragmatic reasons that the the radio stations and other festivals got money and you know also you know supported by the united states and other allies to say like support the music that you banned from your from your uh, Nazi terror, it just you know support this contemporary music, and that you know you basically in the 50s, 60s, if you if you were working in the studio, let's say in Köln or somewhere, you you people didn't tell you what to do. I mean, they're still not telling you, but it it really created a sphere that, independent of public response, p composers and and sound engineers and so on could really do experiments. So that of course 
there, there's this pragmatic reason and the other reason is as, as i say it's not only lachenmann it starts you can also already find things in stockhausen and many other composers if you take making use of familiar music in a totalitarian state and you know using Liszt and Beethoven and so on Wagner for the great gesture or Nietzsche would say for the great lie of the great style then to deconstruct all the familiar sounds to be negative in the sense that you don't accept the given as just you know because it's part of the tradition but rather to question it all the time and going even in the smallest detail of the production of the sound on a certain instrument and question it and say, I want to have new perspectives. I don't want just, you know, to rely on what the tradition gives me. It is, of course, also a kind of German um, self-understanding uh, uh, of, you know, certain composers who also read, you know, Adorno's philosophy and you're, who also understand that there's a social or sociological, sociologically describable role of contemporary music and that it's a responsibility of the composer to not to, you know, just leave the audience already where it is. So in this sense, I would say you're right. There is a typically, or let's say, substantially German um, part in this in this tradition and Lachenmann himself and I talk with him about it understands himself also in this sense as you know German or Central European and admits that people in the United States are doing other things for instance and that that's not you know worse or one is better and the other but it's just you know it it also comes from this kind of you know history history you're in but maybe again to say like I, I would still say that you know Many composers from abroad, I mean, Pierre Boulez is a big voice, but already like in, in the 40s, Messiaen, so many Xenakis, many Luigi Nono, and, and of course, George Ligeti, some, some of them had even teaching positions in Germany, like Ligeti was for a long time professor in Hamburg. So what you think is German music, let's say contemporary music inside Germany, to a large extent shaped and influenced by people who were born somewhere else? which I think is a very, very, very lucky thing for, for the German music tradition of, of contemporary music because it means also that there was already in the 60s a kind of pluralism and it, it grew in the 70s and 80s. So I'm, I'm quite skeptic about what might be called uh, uh, German music because I think the German composers are already right from the beginning influenced by many traditions. And I personally, for instance, was very much influenced by, in the in the beginning of my studies, on the one hand, by the first generation of modern composers like Webern, Schönberg, but also very much by Stravinsky and then by Messiaen. And I love Xenakis and, and Boulez and, and Ligeti, maybe, and Kurtak, you know, two Hungarian composers uh, were maybe most important for me. So what should I say? <laughs> like I'm, I already try to dive into other traditions and, and I think that everyone does. I mean, Do you think yeah. people expect something from you, being German? Mm. Tricky question. I mean, again, I would say it depends on who you're talking about. I mean, if obviously people have expectations and there are some very critical colleagues and so on. And if they listen to a piece, no matter by whom it was written, they really may find it uh, empathetic or um, criticize this heavily or maybe say, well, that's really great. But they d wouldn't say like, okay, I listened to a piece that's by a Dutch or a Belgian or a Canadian or a Brazil composer. Okay, whatever it might be. And oh, now comes a piece by Asmus and he's a German composer. So now I really have high expectations. No, they always have certain expectations. I'm not talking about expectations yeah. about quality. I'm talking about, well, basically I'm talking about stereotypes. 
Yeah, I've, well, I let's say to be honest, I never, I never made the experience that someone came to me after the concert and said, like, you know, I really experienced, I, or I really expected you as a, let's say, for instance, German composer to write a piece in this manner. Now, for the good or the bad, my expectations were not fulfilled. Apart from this kind of negativity that you already mentioned and that I was talking about, for me, it's hard to say. Yeah, so I, I see this is like the framework and this is also the expectations and somehow I have to decide or make a decision whether I fit into this framework of being a German composer. I, I think I never asked myself this question and to be honest, no one ever told me like, okay, so do you are you sure about your responsibility as a German composer? Are you? I don't know. I feel like that almost, maybe I'm imagining it in my head, mm -hmm. but I feel like that makes you part of another generation, the fact that you don't ask yourself that. That's what I'm trying to get at a little bit. Yeah. And it's a newer generation, and it's a generation that does not feel an obligation or a connection to the ideology that you know led up to the, quote, stereotypical music that fits well into a narrative. And I'm wondering if that's how you see yourself, not, not just through age, but also just naturally what your baggage is. Like, you know, and how and how you think. Do you feel like you have less baggage to carry around with you when you're writing a piece than someone, than a German composer in their 50s or 60s? Okay. Now I think I want to try and make a clear point. So first of all, again, it's always the question of not just of a generation, but also of individuals. And there are some composers that are now like in their late 50s beginning 60s that in the 70s really said like oh we don't want to have this tradition you know we want to break out we want to include romantic and so on romanticism in our music again and so on so there there are already in the 70s somehow you know different directions and people say like we don't want to have the baggage however and now comes maybe the, my point i would say maybe even more than a German composer, I would understand myself as a European composer. I grew up, and I actually, when I said I, everything started with Beethoven, uh, which now by chance is a German composer, but I grew up with European music. The same was somehow going on in my studies uh, when I, of course, didn't just study Stockha Stockhausen, but also, you know, at the same time, Messiaen or whatever, you know, contem other contemporary mu composers. So, I would say for me, it is something which really creates my identity that in each piece I'm trying also to deal with the tradition and understand it and and um, do something yet like add my own to it in a way and to transform it, of course, not just to cite it or bet myself into it, but also to transform it. But at the same time, I feel that there is sometimes a freshness I see in African composers, sometimes also in Asian composers and very prominently in US American composers. Uh, kind of how do you say such a you know the a Jewish way would be to say chusper you know like like just a coach to say like I'm doing that without without you know having to to deal with it and to 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 deal with the fact that okay oh my god you know I now have to think about Beethoven no what the fuck what you're talking about as far as baggage right now is kind of a very long arc baggage what I'm referring to especially with German history is that there's a shorter term baggage that happens every 20, 30 years, that dictates the immediate style. Yeah. And uh, I'm wondering if you feel a separation between what you're doing now and what your concerns are aesthetically, and then also what you feel like you can and cannot do. If you feel a separation between those thoughts of yours and the thoughts of someone who was writing in the 50s and 60s. 
Well, okay. So now uh, to answer this, you know, question with a with a narrower s scope, I would say, sure, there is obviously there has been a shift, there has been a, a change, and I already experienced it inside my studies. And when I started to study uh, at uh, at the University of the Arts in Berlin, in the I had really kind of a break, you know, the first the first part of my studies I didn't really compose anything. I mean, of course I composed, but it's all crap, you know. And I it was also a kind of intimidation, you know. I I I felt intimidated by the fact that there are people who are so much into let's say a certain kind of new music tradition which I still was exploring. So I had the feeling even though no one was telling me you have to compose like that, you know, for sure not my professor but also the others no one was saying yeah, Asmus you have to do this and that. I felt like oh my god, I have to somehow fit into this world of, you know, contemporary music which has an uh, a claim for complexity and deconstructive elements and so forth. That's the baggage I'm talking about. Exactly, exactly. And I had to free myself in a way from this baggage not because it is aesthetically alien to me or i think like it's it's bad to do that not at all but rather by just the fact that when i'm composing i need to be at a certain point at least if it comes to the decisions to write a sound to create a sound to create a structure i have to be to some extent the embodiment of a free mind if i feel all the time constraints that are alien to me because it's not like my own taste or my own claim or my own intellectual approach to something but because I feel like, oh my God, I have to, you know, even unconsciously, I have to somehow, I shouldn't write that because then people will think it's it's just bad or it's kitsch or whatever. Um, I think I can't compose. So I really have to have to be free from these kind of um, constraints that I think, you know, what are other people wanting me to write? And then I can, you know, I can write more freely and maybe be in this tradition, but it's not like a like a question. And now just in general to, to sketch the situation of the generation in, in, in general, as I'm saying, like Berlin is a quite good mirror for this pluralism now because it means like you can accept different traditions and there are even people, colleagues and maybe even friends that that write in very different traditions. And it's not anymore that you know people i mean there are still people who would think like if you don't deconstruct your sound all the time if you if you are not ironic about every gesture you're doing then it's already like you're you're something you're falling back in mythology or tradition and you're not reflective enough but i would say the majority just says okay i want to hear your piece and want to hear your background and what wh why are you doing this and how is it and and maybe i admire one piece of yours and maybe the other one i really don't like so it's not just you know putting some idols in the sky and then trying to follow them, but rather to say, okay, there are different different fields. And it's not that, you know, you think, okay, you have to take a decision. Either you're for this or you're against this. So you 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 present a spectrum. Obviously, there, there are distinction about more interesting music and less interesting music, about music that is close to cliche, music that is really challenging and so on. But I would say all these evaluations do take place or at least should take place in the realm of pluralism that allows for different ways of expression if they come out of a self-reflective attitude towards what's going on. I would say this kind of pluralistic situation is fruitful. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it. Thanks sure. for doing this. Yeah. Then you're welcome. It was a pleasure for me. And sometimes I talk too much, but in too, uh, maybe too in a fuzzy way, but... Hopefully, this was pretty. This was pretty concrete. I think you're being very self-critical right now. At least you're putting things out there. I can grab onto and throw back at you in some way. 
So, okay. So don't yeah, don't worry about it. it no, no, I'm not yeah. worrying. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.